And now, broadcasting from a two-person hot tub, high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK and Rick. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 pandemic. Today is Wednesday, May 13th, 2020. And I have our friend Pamela Dunley, the president and CEO of Elmhurst Memorial Hospital on the line. How are you today, Pam? I'm excellent. How are you? I'm doing great. It's uh, a beautiful day, as you mentioned, off the air just a a minute or two ago. And uh, it's nice to have the sun out and have it a little warmer, isn't it? It is wonderful to have the sun shining. I think the last two weeks it had been raining. So maybe this is a good sign for the future. I think so. I hope so. So we had a really fun thing happen today. We had uh, a bunch of the clergy from the Elmhurst area and surrounding communities got into, um, they decorated cars, and they paraded with their cars in front of the hospital, and um, you know, all decorated and honking their horns at noon when we do a prayer session to uh, honor all of the staff and all of the patients that are in the hospital, and the last uh, car had the uh, priest standing outside, uh, up, up through his his open area on the top of his car standing up, so he was waving to everybody, and it was just really moving, and um, it made me cry because it was just so beautiful and um, so much appreciated that the community is so supportive. That's really neat. I was um, making a necessary trip the other day going by the hospital, and I drove in and took a look at the daffodils and uh, took a picture, and I'm going to actually incorporate that into our podcast logo here for the next few weeks. So uh, that that's really neat, though. It's so beautiful to see all of those daffodils out there. Every time we get a new one to put out there, everybody, just their spirits rise. Can you give us a couple updates on uh, the number of COVID patients you have since last week? Sure. So luckily, things are moving in the right direction. So last week, we had 66 positive patients with 13 rule outs. Uh, right now, today, we have 56 positive patients, so that's a decrease of 10, and 12 rule outs, which is a de- decrease of 1. Uh, deaths last week, we had 37. At this time, we had have 44, so we have had a few deaths. A lot of those were uh, people who um, were uh, elderly who did not want to be resuscitated, so um, you know they passed on, although I think one was a 56-year-old gentleman. Um, DuPage County last week had 3,803 positive patients, and as of of the latest news, has 5,121, and the state went from 63,840 up to 83,021 with 3,601 deaths. And for the good news, we have discharged, last week we had 199 discharged patients, and um, I am happy to say today we have 240 discharged patients. Oh, that's great. That's great. Have you seen um, a trend at all of any discharged COVID patients that were actually inpatients uh, be readmitted for COVID symptoms? Well, um, there's a tr- there's some patients that are uh, come into the emergency department, they're diagnosed, they don't have uh, severe enough symptoms to get admitted, and then they're home, home monitoring, they check in regularly, and then sometimes they do have to be admitted. As, uh, in terms of patients who 
had positive COVID symptoms and then were discharged, only 1% of those patients has been brought back to the hospital. And that was for either uh, increased shortness of breath or um, their oxygen um, stats were dropping and they go home with a pulse oximeter. So that helps them um, determine if they, if how their oxygen levels are or um, they were dizzy and felt like passing out. But it's only 1%, so it's not a very large number, and most of those people go home and never have to come back again. Great. So as far as the staffs, uh, any uh, more tests positive for COVID? Um, I don't remember how many staff were positive last week in terms of the uh, hospital, but right now we're at 27, so I think it's only, I think it may be one or two more than last time. And um, in terms of the physician practice division, we're still at 15, which is the same amount we've had for the last, I think, month. So we are not climbing at all in that area. That's great. You know, and, and as it relates to employees and their, their health and their, their mental health in particular, do you have counseling services available for them if, uh, if they need it? So we are very fortunate that we have uh, Linden Oaks Hospital as part of our organization. And so when about a, a week or two into this whole pandemic, we realized the immense um, pressure this was for our staff. And so we set up these uh, rooms in each of the COVID areas where there's things like um, massage therapy chairs and um, aromatherapy and guided imagery. And there was also a Linden Oaks counselor in each of these rooms. And it was available to both the staff and the physicians to come in and to just help talk about whatever's bothering them, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, their fears, etc. And then for those people who were did not have time to do it when somebody was here, we also set up a phone counseling uh, program so they could call, you know, all these things free of charge to um, just have time to uh, talk through what their fears are and what's normal reaction to, to this kind of stress, what might be abnormal and might need some more help. Um, but yes, we, we truly believe in supporting the whole person and that includes their mental health. I think that's great because I think, you know, as we've spoken before, the, you know, all of society is suffering to some degree from this in, in terms of their mental health. And I can't imagine the folks that are on the front line, uh, the stress that they have every day. So that's great. Um, each week, you've kind of been giving us an update on your capabilities as it relates to testing. And it's been increasing for the most part. So does it continue to increase? And then the unfair question is, at what point in time do you think there might be a test that is so routine that anybody can get it regardless of their symptoms? <laughs> so um, we're still at 2,000 per day in terms of uh, testing ability, uh, but it's three different three different ways we test. So we have the... Um, the molecular tests, known as PCR tests, we have um, ones that we do here, which we get back in about um, 16 hours, and th that's at both our drive-in clinic as well as our emergency rooms and in the hospital. And then we have uh, a outside agency that does a bunch of the same testing for us, and they um, can return it within 24 to 48 hours, the results. And then we have a um, rapid test, and that one we get the results back in 
I think it's 15 minutes or half an hour. So we still have all of that. We determine which tests to use based on what the needs are for knowing the results. So if some, if we're trying to figure out what to do with somebody and we need to absolutely know, you know, should they go to surgery, what kind of precautions do we need to take, um, and we don't have time to wait, we would t- do a rapid test. Um, the the efficacy or how accurate these tests are is really dependent on making sure you know what you're doing in terms of getting a sample. And what my fear is in these homegrown tests is that if you don't really know how to collect the sample and how quick to um, get the test results, you know, with the rapid test, you have to have it into the lab within 15 minutes. If you're doing it at home and you're not collecting correctly, you might get a false reading. And so I worry about the accuracy right now of the tests because they are very dependent on making sure you know how to collect the sample. Um, So uh, who knows how quickly they can get a test that's not so sensitive to that. Then it it would be better and more um, available than for people. But I can't predict when that will be. So you're not going to uh, put on your Swami hat today and make that prediction? No. So I, I don't blame you. <laughs> I don't blame you. Um, we noticed in the news that uh, the FDA has authorized uh, the first of hopefully several antigen tests. Now, I can barely spell antigen. So can you explain <laughs> what an antigen test is and why it might be significant in finding out who has or has had COVID-19? Certainly, and I wouldn't be able to do this off the top of my head, but I did go to our uh, Dr. Kandel, who's in charge of the lab, and I asked him, could you give me very specific, specific information about antigen tests? So he says, antigen tests detect proteins from the virus. Antigen tests are very specific for this virus, but are not as sensitive as molecular tests. So the molecular tests are the ones we're doing to know if you're positive. The antigen test tells you, did you have the virus, but it's not specific to tell you, do you have it right now? So it means that the positive result is highly accurate, but a negative result may not rule out an infection. So that's, that's an issue. So a positive antigen test just like a positive molecular test, indicates that the patient is infected with the virus and presumed to be contagious. However, since antigen tests are known to be less sensitive than molecular tests, negative antigen test results should be treated as presumptive and confirmed with a molecular test. So the SOFIA-2 SARS antigen FIA test can be used to test nasopharyngeal and nasal swab specimens just like the molecular tests currently available at EEH. The SOFIA-2 SARS antigen FIA test, just like the molecular test being used today, is not yet approved or cleared by the FDA. However, the SOFIA-2 SARS antigen FIA test um, will be made available under emergency situations for emergency use, and that's what we're waiting on. So when it gets finalized and approved past the emergency use, we may be able to have it, and we're thinking will be available to us within the next week or two weeks. What the antigen test hasn't proven yet is if you test that you were positive at one point or you have the antigens in your body, it doesn't tell you will you not be at risk to have it again later, and it doesn't tell you if you are still um, contagious. So it's an incremental improvement, not necessarily a huge improvement, but not yet. It's it's, it's certainly uh, promising. So last week uh, we talked about elective surgery starting at 
the hospital again. And has that happened? And, and what kind of volume are you seeing, if so? Uh, it has happened. Um, we actually started on Monday, and we very successfully successfully brought in patients to have surgery. We are starting at a um, lower volume than we would have done in the past. So right now, um, this week we will... See, we completed between May 11th and the 13th, so today, 98 surgicals. And of those 98 surgical cases, 62 of them were elective. Um, we will be averaging this week between 32 and 38 cases per day. And then next week we will um, be looking to move that up to 40 per day, just depending on what our census is in the, in the hospital. Okay. Well, that's a step in the right direction, isn't it? Glad that that started up again. Oh, we're very happy. And, and, and we know that it's really important that people feel safe. So we've taken a lot of precautions for these surgical patients following all the rules around testing. So they have to be tested to see if they're positive within 72 hours prior to having surgery. And, um, and then, you know, they're supposed to isolate at home up until their surgery so that we can make sure they continue to be safe. So as it relates to Elmhurst in particular, the Center for Health, which is attached to the the hospital, um, is that operating as usual outside of any safety precautions that you're taking because of COVID? Well, um, I don't know how you can answer that with saying outside of any safety precautions because it's never business as usual when you have to take a lot of safety precautions. So uh, we we are open um, and people are coming in to see their doctors. They are coming in to get laboratory tests or um, radiological tests, x-rays, CAT scans, MRIs. Um, we try to do it by appointment only, although if somebody walks in, we will um, screen them and, uh, and make sure that we can get them in, but in a sa- safe manner in terms of keeping social distancing. They cannot come in the building without a mask. Um, they have to go through the screening process of temperature, ask, answering questions before they can come in to get any testing done. Um, we are marking off how far people have to be from each other. Uh, and, you know, we prefer they call their physician's office to make appointments. And then once they make the appointments, they can do all that screening over the phone and give directions. As well as we are not allowing um, visitors in with somebody unless there is a reason the visitor has to be there. So let's say somebody doesn't speak English and they need somebody to help interpret, then we would have the visitor who would also go through the screening process. Or let's say it's somebody who needs assistance in, in ambulating then or assistance in, um, you know, being able to answer questions, then we would have somebody with them. Or if they're a child, obviously they're going to need a parent with them. But but we try to keep only one visitor to try and keep everything clean and safe. And then the staff are all cleaning in between every patient coming up to see them. And anything anybody touches gets wiped down right afterwards because we want to make sure patients feel safe as well as all of uh, the staff remain safe. And as it relates to visitors, that that policy is the same both at the Center for Health and the hospital pretty much? Um, Yes. So in the hospital, again, we, unless somebody is at end of life, we prefer there's no visitors, although we are at this moment 
re-looking at that now that we're starting to have more patients who are not COVID positive and we're having the surgical start, we are revisiting that policy and maybe making changes in the next week or two to that. How are you keeping COVID patients and non-COVID patients, patients away from each other in the hospital physically to prevent somebody from being contaminated that's not? So we're lucky in the way we're designed is in that we have very um, divided areas. So on our west end of our hospital, there's 24 beds, which um, are divided into 12 bed pods that the staff stay in. So the staff work within that pod. They don't go back and forth. That that building, the, the airflow is called a negative pressure airflow, so it pulls all the air out of the building and doesn't cross into the other areas. So we can put COVID patients on those floors. What For the surgical, what we did was the fourth floor was completely cleaned out and it is only people who are not COVID positive or a rule out. They are not on the fourth floor. So it's all clean patients on the fourth floor. So nobody that has even a thought it might be COVID would be on that floor. And that would be all the surgicals and then our oncology patients. On the fifth floor, the west end and the southwest side, which is all, again, divided with with doors and um, breaks in the whole airflow. That's all um, negative airflow. That southwest side in front and the west side are all positive COVID or rule out COVID. And then on the east side, that is um, clean patients that are not positive and have not rule outs. Um, same thing with in- intensive care. We have two floors in on the first floor, but in the intensive care, all those rooms um, is negative pressure, so it pulls the air out. And we have two pods that are completely clean, um, which are separate. You can't walk from one to the next. They're, they're very separated. And that would be where all the patients that require intensive care that are not, that do not have um, COVID would be. Sounds like the uh, building was well-designed for something like this, and I'm, I'm guessing that wasn't by accident. I'll tell you, um, we may not have thought of something like COVID, but we took so many safety principles into effect when we were trying to design the hospital in terms of, of the ability to change out what a unit was without having to do construction or redesign it, and that's what's made it easy for us to keep changing and make sure that everything uh, works well and can accommodate the patients no matter what type of patients they are, as well as all those private rooms. I mean, every single room is private and every single room in terms of um, airflow, et cetera, is, works beautifully for this kind of conditions. What's uh, your latest update on your PPE supplies? Well, right now we're doing okay. Uh, we can always use more N95 masks. We can always use more um, gowns, um, you know, especially disposable gowns that are at the quality that we require. Uh, right now we're okay with the PDI wipes. I know I talked about them a lot. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just going to depend on how long, which I can't even imagine how long this is going to go on because we think this will be here you know, pretty much part of our life for a long, long time. We anticipate that um, the cost necessary 
to get PPE in to and all the personnel that's going to be required for us to continue to screen, to continue to clean uh, equipment that is, needs to be cleaned at this higher ratio is going to continue and be part of what we're going to have to do as an organization. Um, I, I've been checking out your website uh, this morning, and I want to mention a couple things. One, there's a great blog under the uh, latest COVID information. It's uh, titled Tips for Managing Your Anxiety About Coronavirus. So I just want to give you folks kudos for that. It's a great resource. I enjoyed reading it. The other thing I noticed right on on the, the main homepage of EE Health is a safety commitment. And uh, I think that's pretty unique and pretty nice, too. Well, I think there's a lot of great resources on there. I hope we helped reduce your anxiety when you read that. Um, but the, the safety commitment, I think, is important for everybody. It's important for the community to feel safe in coming back to the hospital or coming to your doctor's office or going to get testing done because we want people to feel safe and we want you to be able to take care of your health needs. We want you to have as long and as productive a life as possible, and so... We want you not to ignore anything that may negatively impact your health, which includes making sure kids get their vaccinations, when flu comes around, making sure you get your flu vaccines, et cetera. So we're doing everything we can to ensure our environment helps you feel safe and will provide safety for you. And so we do have those safety commitments. They're around screening, physical distancing, cleaning, they're around um, when we need to test somebody prior to doing a procedure, our visiting policies, our protective equipment, our um, making sure that you wear your mask if you're coming into the building, and, um, and making sure that we continue to provide great quality care and, so that we can continue with our straight-A leapfrog and all the great quality scores that we continue to have because we want our community to have the best. Well, I want to uh, reiterate what I tell you pretty much every week is uh, how uh, glad we are that you and your your staff are here for us because uh, you really are heroes right now. And I don't know, I, I just can't imagine the stress that a lot of your staff is under. It's uh, it's easy to be on the, the outside and, and make judgments about what's going on on the inside, but I just can't imagine that stress. So I hope you're Folks are taking care of themselves and taking care of their mental health as well as their physical health. And I thank you for spending time with me again today. Well, Rick, thank you so much for this opportunity. I think it's so important for our community to know what's really going on and important for our community to know how they can take care of themselves and how they can continue to support each other as well as support the healthcare workers who are here for them every day. So um, I appreciate it and I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you, Pam. Appreciate it. Now more than ever, we're asking the community of Elmhurst to please fill out your U.S. 2020 census. It's quick, safe, and easy, and you can do it online at my2020census.gov. Thank you. The staff and management of the E-Town Lowdown would like to assure our more sensitive listeners that our food critic, Sal, is really half Italian. His mother is from Poland, and his father is from the great country of Italy. We hope you will enjoy and not be offended. Hey, everybody. Slappy Sal, the half-Italian food critic here at the E-Town Lowdown. I'm going to tell you about the finest cuisine we got here in E-Town. 
We're going to talk about uh, sandwiches and sausages, all kinds of stuff. He might even talk about some food that's not Italian. Maybe. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? You listen to old Sal here and you get the load on all the good eats. Last Thursday, I wanted some breakfast, so I headed over to the Fresh Start Cafe. You know, over by Ace Hardware down by the hospital. I happened to have met the owner once. They call him Meech. You know, like Meech you in St. Louis. I figured I'd see how good Meech can make a breakfast. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? So I walk in there. Meech is at the counter and he nods at me. So I says, hey, Meech. How you doing? He says, hey, Sal. How you doing? Hey, so far so good. So I'm looking around a joint and there's a bunch of local yahoos in there. I see Mikey the backbreaker. And I see Marky the Senator, who, by the way, has a pink toilet sitting in his front yard for some weird reason. I don't know. And I run smack dab into my dear friend, Miss Marianne. And whenever I see her, I got to sing that old song. Come on, Marianne, say you can understand my Marianne. You know that song? It's my guy, Mr. Francis Castelluccio. But you probably know him better as Frankie Valley, but that's a whole nother story. So who do I see up in the balcony? It's none other than Rick from the E-Town Lowdown, sitting at his heavily reinforced table. There's no sign of his good buddies Frank and Leg and Destructo, but he waves me over, so I decided I'd join him for breakfast. Turns out Marky the Senator joins us too. Good times. Turns out Fresh Start's got this great deal. It's called a Dewey Dewey Dewey. Or if you don't speak the Italian language, I'll explain it to you in British. It's the two plus two plus two. You see, you get two of everything. Bada boom, eggs, bacon, sausage, French toast. By the way, you can tell the toast is French because if you point a gun at it, it surrenders. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? But you can get pancakes, a waffle, whatever works for you. Turns out uh, Meech also makes a heck of an omelet. They got all kinds of omelets too, Greek ones, Mexican ones, you name it. One of these days, I'm going to teach Meech how to make an Italian omelet. Get some sausage and peppers in there, you know what I mean? So I get me a mile high omelet. And this plate is, like, gigantic. I'm looking at it like, how in the good name of Dominic the donkey am I going to eat all these ham and eggs? Not for nothing. It was delicioso. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? So we put down these huge breakfast plates along with a couple pots of good strong coffee. Got to tell you, there's nothing better than some eggs and meat to get me started in the morning. I like Fresh Start so much, I may start coming here every Thursday. Can't imagine I'll see Rick and Marky there every Thursday, but hey, who knows? This is Slappy Sal, the half-Italian food critic for the E-Town Lowdown, saying, hey, keep your eyes forward and your belt slightly loosened, just in case. The E-Town Lowdown, brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra, featuring the biggest bass drum in the world. At nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right. Nine feet in diameter. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.